Pastor, Pastor Arsuk is a friend of mine. They, these, these are our friends from Trinidad. They have been here before. Now, brother, lead us. Okay? God bless you. Lord, thanks for our brothers and sisters who help us worship you, who bring a new um, avenue of worship, a new sense of worship, a worship that is more complete. And so, uh, therefore, it is uh, more sweet to you. And, and Lord, we just pray your blessing upon this time now, that as you have opened our hearts, you will fill it with your word, uh, that you will give us a sense that uh, you are making us for a people that is much bigger and, and much uh, deeper than we are. We love you and we pray that you will come to us now, Holy Spirit. Help us to understand your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we're going to be talking about relationships around the world about God's plan for us to build relationships around the world. And we're going to end up with our scripture text, but we're going to start with the beginning of this vision, which was the beginning of his people. If you will turn to Genesis chapter 12, um, read the first three verses uh, with me as I read them to you. This is the founding of the nation Israel, which is our mother religion, and therefore uh, its foundation uh, is what we fulfill. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country, from your relatives, and from your father's house to a land which I will show you. Let me, let me give you just a short version of this. He was taking away Abram from what was familiar and getting him out of a comfort zone. Go from your country, all of your relatives, your relatives, of course, are always trying to rescue you, and from your father's house. Here's an adult living in his father's house. And he's saying, and go to a land, I'm not even going to show you where it is. Now, part of this, part of our building proper relationships and, and expanding our relationships is to get out of our comfort zone. And for that, we've got to be with people who are different than we are, not only in art form, and that's exactly what we were doing this morning. You know, this isn't easy for a white boy from Ohio to, to you know, to, you know, you know, I, I'm just, but I need this. I need this. Um, our, 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 some of our Christian artists from our body, are, you've, you've seen down this hallway, the, the wonderful works. Um, and you say, well, what does this have to do with Christ? Everything. Because Christ expresses himself in art, um, in more than just pictures of Jesus knocking on a door. Um, and, and so there's an expanse. And what God's saying is, go forth from what you usually think of as as the main way to get to me, and I'll show you something even better. And, and from there, he goes uh, to this. He says, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so you shall be a blessing. Now, often in Hebrew parallelism, what they do is they, they lay out a concept, and then they define the concept. Greatness is not just by making the name great, it's by making... The name great because you're a blessing. Now look at this. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. You see, from the very beginning, God did not make a special people just to be special to them. God made a special people for them to be special to everyone. 
God blessed the people so that they could be a blessing for everyone. Now, let me ask you a question. When you, when you see yourself as a blessing from God, how broad do those circles get? I mean, I would think that any Christian would say, okay, if I'm going to be a blessing, um, I, I need to be a blessing to my family. That's where God's called me. Of course you do. If I'm going to be a blessing, I need to be a blessing at my work. Of course you do. If I'm going to be a blessing, I need to be a blessing to my friends. Of course you do. But where does it go from there? If I'm going to be a blessing, I need to be a blessing in my church. Of course you do. But where does it go from there? You see, there are, there are, there are really two types of people. One is kind of those people who are confined to kind of their own crowd type people. And they're usually very good at what they do, but very limited in their influence. The other type of person is they are who they are, where they are, no matter what. Some of you knew, for example, a coach in high school or two types of coaches. We had, we had two types in our high school. One guy was the football coach. And man, this guy was, I mean, he ain't drank and slept football. And if you were on the football team, man, he, you were his investment. Um, and everybody on that football team got, got absolute prior consideration. But people not on the football team could be dispensed with. I mean, if you, if you were a golfer and standing around this guy, he'd just smirk. If, if you were, if you were a, a, a track, uh, uh, a person on the track team, the only, the only good he could see coming out of a track team was keeping his football players in shape on the off season. If you were a basketball player, pfft, whatever. Uh, but he was very good football coach, but he was very limited in his influence. On the other hand, we had a guy who was a basketball coach, who was a basketball co- coach for 20 years, and we hardly, won, we hardly ever had a winning season. But this guy was a coach no matter where he went and no matter who. He never took off his whistle. He had his whistle. I think he showered with his whistle on. I bet you he went to bed with his whistle on. I'd see him in restaurants he had his whistle on. He was coach, and he was everybody's coach. And he'd walk down the hallway, and whether you were on any athletic team or not, he'd say, how's it going? And you'd say, oh, boy, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing good in history, coach. Everybody called him coach. We didn't even know his first name. Everybody, everybody called him coach. Now, I'm not doing good in history. And he'd say, you know what? Practice. That's what it takes. Practice, 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 practice. You can do this thing. I'll tell you what. You can, you can, come on now, go, go, go. And you, okay. And you'd walk down. You know? He'd say, how's it going? Oh, my girlfriend just dumped me. Practice, practice, practice. He said, these things don't come easy, you know? You gotta, you gotta figure out what, what, what angle they're playing, and then you gotta kinda meet that strategy and practice, 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 he'd say. He was everybody's coach, and, and you'd love seeing this guy come, cause you were never counted out just cause you weren't on a basketball team. You were, you received equal t- attention no matter what team you were on. Let me ask you again. Which type of coach are you? If they're not your family, are they kind of secondary? If they're not your church, are they kind of secondary? If they're not your work or friends, are they kind of secondary? God would say, you know what? You were meant to be a blessing to a wider circle than you have regular interchange with. It doesn't mean you have to have the same amount of interchange with everybody. What it does mean is that you are to be a blessing to all the families on earth. Wherever I take you, 
You need to be that kind of blessing. Now, when Jesus Christ came, how did he fulfill this? Look at uh, Acts uh, chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. Jesus literally... Now, now you, you know what happens over the years to Israel. Israel starts expecting that if God does anything on earth, it's going to be to Israel, for Israel, by Israel. And therefore, when Jesus was crucified resurrected and began to prepare the church for what God had for the church. The question that comes in Acts chapter 1 verse 6 is, and so they said when they had come together, they were asking him saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? Now, most people spend a lot of their time talking about the, uh, talking about the timing of this thing. And that's his first response. It's not for you to know the times or the seasons. That's his first response. But his second response is even more significant. You know what he does? He says, are you guys still talking about geographic limitations here? Are you still talking about ethnic limitations here? Are you still talking about cultural limitations here? He redefines the kingdom. He says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. You see what he just did? He totally redefined where the kingdom was. He totally redefined for them what their business was. He said, you've got to be broader than this. And then when the church started, not only were their tongues as of fire, were they, were they speaking other languages, but represented in, in verses 9 and 10, chapter 2, Verses 9 and 10. Well, first verse 6. Well, first verse 5. <laughs> now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were bewildered because each one of them, hearing them speak in his own language. How was the church born? The church was born from multicultural base all having one thing in common, faith, hearing from the Lord, hearing about the Lord. And therefore, there was this sense from the very beginning, we are not complete without each other. This is how God started us. We don't even know. These guys come in once, once a year for, for a Pentecost holiday, or we might see them every once every five years, but they're still the church. God gave them the church just like he gave us the church. They're just as connected to us as if they were in our own little regular daily circles. And they were thrilled. I mean, that they were released to be strong and vibrant. I mean, take a look. What happened to Peter in this thing? Peter was so cowardly when it was just him and Jesus that, that when Jesus was taken away, this little servant girl turned to him and said, Hey, weren't you with the Galilean? He goes, oh, I don't even know him. I mean, old servant girl, he ran to... When this thing breaks out, Peter's standing in front of all Jerusalem saying, What's up? You go and killed Christ. That was dumb. Let me tell you what's up. And I mean, he totally transformed. Why? Because Peter knew that God had done something with the world, not just with him, not just with his little relationships, not just with his little circle, with the world. And so therefore... There was this sense of, 
Wow, we're all in this together. And, and, and there was this sense not of going out and giving them something from what we have that they don't have. But that sense that everybody had this together. And they have resources we don't have. They have resources that add to the foundational picture. You see, I love the missionary movement in America. I love the fact that I'm going to come back to the missionary movement. But what I don't like is the attitude that says we go out there and give them our cultural way of worshiping Christ. That's not how it started. That's not how it started. That's not where it's going. Revelation 7-9, where every tongue and every nation and every language under heaven, every people is worshiping God around the throne. And so there's this, I, I, I can't picture, I don't know how that's going to be, you know. I, I, I don't know whether you can go to the Trinidad section, and then you go to the uh, Indian section, and then you go to the, uh, the, the African section, and then you, you, know, you, you go to the German section. I don't know, I don't know how that, I don't know how that's going to be. Uh, I, I, I'll spend a little bit more time in the gospel section if they have a gospel section there. But, but I know that it all, will all be more complete because they have resources we don't have. We've got to get out of this uh, uh, kind of adopt a people here. Uh, uh, somebody sent me a cute email. You know how they're always uh, coming on um, uh, TV and saying adopt a child and, and you know, is the person, poor person really needs you and so on and so forth. Somebody sent me an email. I love this. With the NBA, you know, the basketball lockout, with the NBA locking out its poor players, now is the time for us to show the world just how much we care. It's just not right. Hundreds of basketball players in our very own country are living at or just below the seven-figure salary line. (laughs) And as if that weren't bad enough, they will be deprived of pay for several weeks, possibly a whole year. But now you can help. For about $2,000 a day, that's less than the cost of the average large screen projection TV, you can keep a basketball player economically viable during his time of need. $2,000 a day may not seem like a lot of money to you, but to a basketball player, it could mean the difference between a vacation spent golfing in Florida or a Mediterranean cruise. For you, $2,000 is nothing more than two or three months' rent or mortgage payments. But to a basketball player, $2,000 a day will almost replace his salary. Your commitment to $2,000 a day will enable a player to buy that home entertainment center, trade in that year-old Lexus for a new Ferrari, (laughs) enjoy a weekend in Rio, pay his lawyers, whatever. But you ask, how will I know I am helping? Each month, you will receive a complete financial report on the player you sponsor. (laughs) Detailed information about his stocks, bonds, real estate investments. (laughs) You'll also get information on how he plans to invest the $5 million lump sum he will receive on retirement. Um, How will he know I am helping? Your basketball player will be told that he has a special friend who just wants to help out in his time of need. Well, you know, the, the point here is that is that many times we think we're the ones giving to someone who really needs us when they have way more than we have. You know, that, that also applies to people in other cultures and their worship of the Lord. That also applies to their relationship with Jesus Christ. Our connection with them really will enhance our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's how the church began.
That's what God knew in the first place. So therefore, what is our job in this? We'll turn to our scripture text, which is is John chapter 10. And we'll just go to verse 16. John chapter 10, verse 16. This is Jesus talking. And he announces this. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. And I must bring them also. And they shall hear my voice. And they shall become one flock with one shepherd. Now I want, you, I, want, I want to point a couple of things out to you biblically here. I don't want you to miss. This is not an organizational adjustment. This is, this is our people responding to the voice of Christ. That's how this thing happens. As people respond to the voice of Christ, they are a part of the flock. But there is a part of that that still is to become. Realistically, we are all Christians in every land and every nation. Those that are and those that are yet to come, we are all family. And eventually we will all be family surrounding the throne. But Christ hints that there is a movement yet to happen. Now, of course, the traditional reading of this is he's talking to the Jews and he's speaking about the Gentiles. But let me ask you, what kind of paradigm does that set up for us? There's no division between Jews and Gentiles anymore. What there is is the division between geographies, between cultures, between colors, between languages. And so what Christ would have to say to us is that, is that there are other sheep that aren't, that aren't in this flock. I have other sheep that aren't in this. I, they must. He says, he says, I must bring them also. I must bring them also. Now I can just hear, and we've already had people say this as we talked about the church distributed. I can just hear people go, what, we want more people? We can't even handle the relationships we've got. Let me, let me, let me just say to you that we're not talking about putting more people on your weekly schedule for people to eat with. We're talking about a relationship that is a spiritual relationship. Just as, just as that, that spiritual relationship happened in Jerusalem at the birth, the birth of the church. These weren't people that these other people from those other lands would stay in there and just say, okay, going to live in your house for the next year. But they, there was a recognition that God was doing this and there was an automatic kind of connection. This happens to me. I bet it happens to you too. I've, I've, I've referred before when you, when you find out somebody you're talking to goes to Northland. Man, there's kind of an automatic connection there. Can't tell you how many times there is during the week that I'm out there and people go, are you Joel? Are you Joel Hunter? I was at, at, uh, at uh, Seminole Community College for some dealie the other night and, and walking across the campus and some girl shouts out, are you Joel Hunter? I said, yeah. She said, Hi, you're my pastor. I said, hi, glad to meet you. It's great. It was great. I, I, there's, I was driving to Dairy Queen. This is a confession. Driving to, <laughs> driving to Dairy Queen. I'm all about blizzards. I'm, I'm, I'm big on blizzards. Heath blizzards, boy. And then it got up to the window and there's this guy a little, hey, aren't you the preacher at Northland? Yeah, I go to Northland. You know, automatic connection. Hands me my blizzard. We're brothers, man. We're, I mean, it's just automatic. 
It's so great. I was at the master's thing yesterday. They got a new campus. It was kind of the consecration. One person after another. I, I, you're my pastor. I, I, and there was just, we're not going to sit down for lunch every week, but we've got this. We're in this thing together. I was in a bookstore a couple of weeks ago, and this guy's just looking at me just real strangely. I mean, he just kept looking at me, you know. And I, and I, so finally he comes up. He said, anybody ever tell you you look like Joel Hunter? I said, I am Joel Hunter. He said, no, you're not. I said, I said, yeah, I am. He said, you're so small. <laughs> he, said, he said, you don't look that small up on that platform. I said, that's why we built it like that. <laughs> That there would be a pattern of that, not just with Northam, with other churches. There would be a pattern of that because of the communication that is available. You know, years and years ago, in the 1700s, there was uh, a man named John Eliot who was sitting, uh, who was a part of a Puritan meeting. And Jesus came and whispered in his ear. I have other sheep that are not of this flock. I must bring them in also. And John Eliot felt compelled to go to the Algonquin Indians. And there were several conversions to Christ. A little bit later, there was a, there was a, uh, um, a man by the name of, I've got it written down here, a man by the name of Brannard, who, who sat in a congregational meeting. And, 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 and this was in Jonathan Edwards' uh, uh, congregation, as a matter of fact. And the Lord whispered in his ear, I've got other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them in also. And he went to the Susquehanna Indians. Years later, there was another uh, uh, man uh, named William Carey who sat in the congregation of a particular Baptist church. That was a P capital P. That was the name of the denomination, Particular Baptists. And, and the Lord whispered in his ear, I, I, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in also. And years later, Hudson Taylor, in another congregation, whispered the same thing to him. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in also. And Hudson Taylor made all the difference in the world in China. And years later, David Livingston sat in a congregation in, Eng in England. He heard the Lord say this same thing to him. I have other sh sheep that are not of this world. I must bring them in also. And he went to Africa and made a difference in eternity in Africa. You know what I've wondered for years? What would it be like if the Lord came and instead of to an individual, whispered that to an entire congregation? Pray with me. Lord, let us hear your will on our relationships around the world. Kick us out of our comfort zones, but do it so that we can love better, so that we can love broader and wider. Kick us out so that we can love more completely and so that the relationships that we have can be relationships on the basis of our relationship with you. Lord, we not only want to help populate heaven, 
we want to enjoy the worship that is taking place in heaven even before we get there. So as we go step by step, whisper in our ear not only who yet needs to be included, but how together we can worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.